0: This is Global Tennessee, news, analysis, and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, non-profit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants.
1: This is Global Tennessee. I'm Pat Ryan from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Thanks for listening. Today we have a special program. We uh, are going to present remarks from Michael McClellan, President American University of Kurdistan Foundation. He uh, spoke at Belmont University on March twentieth, twenty nineteen, on the topic Kurdistan Today: No Friends But the Mountains. Uh, Michael McClellan became president of the American University of Kurdistan Foundation in August twenty eighteen. Prior to that, he was diplomat in residence at Western Kentucky University, and a recruitment and outreach officer with the U.S. State Department responsible for recruiting for the U.S. Foreign Service by increasing awareness of the many internships, fellowships, and career opportunities available with the department. During his three decades with the U.S. Information Agency and the U.S. Department of State, Michael served as a public diplomacy officer in Yemen, Egypt, Russia, Serbia, Germany, Kosovo, Ireland, twice in Iraq, Ethiopia, and South Sudan, where he served as deputy chief of mission. He was also a diplomat in residence at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Uh, Michael speaks Russian, Arabic, and German, as well as some Serbian and Albanian. He uh, currently lives in Dohuk, Kurdistan, in Iraq, as well as uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, Michael retired as a uh, U.S. Foreign Service officer in 2014 with the rank of minister-counselor. At his presentation, Michael talked about the uh, situation in Kurdistan today, uh, what's going on in terms of the independence uh, movement in Kurdistan, the situation uh, in the re- relationship with uh, Turkey, Iran, and the central government in Baghdad, what it's like to uh, to live and work in uh, Dahuk in Kurdistan, and then he uh, talked about uh, the American University of Kurdistan and the foundation that he is president of. Uh, we're going to uh, take the first uh, part of his remarks and then we'll have a break and then come back for part two where he uh, talks more about the relationship between the American University of Kurdistan and Middle Tennessee State University uh, where he is currently visiting uh, to uh, work out a uh, an exchange program and you'll be uh, very interested in what the uh, – implications are for students in both Kurdistan and in the Middle Tennessee area. So uh, I present uh, to you Michael McClellan, President, American University of Kurdistan Foundation, on the topic Kurdistan Today, No Friends But the Mountains.
2: So thank you very much for coming tonight. I especially want to thank uh, Patrick Ryan and his colleagues from the Tennessee World Affairs Council for their very kind invitation to speak here tonight. And thank you, Patrick, for that very kind introduction. I also want to thank Belmont College for hosting this event. And it's a school that I have had some interactions with over the past few years when recruiting for the Foreign Service and attending meetings of the Nashville Beekeepers Association, which meets here once a month on a Sunday afternoon. So uh, in my other life, I'm also a beekeeper in addition to being a foundation president. And by the way, that's another reason why I really like Kurdistan. Kurdistan has what is arguably the best honey in the world. So if you really want to get great honey, start with my farm in Bowling Green and then go east to Kurdistan and you'll get the two best honeys in the world. Okay, but before I begin, I would like for us to note that this past week commemorated a very tragic event. On Saturday, March 16th, 2019, it was the 30th anniversary of the Halabja genocide when the Ba'athist regime of Saddam Hussein used chemical weapons against its own populace, murdering over 5,000 men, women, and children in the city of Halabja. Please note that this was the first time in history that any government used chemical weapons against its own people. And... By the way, that is also a weapon of mass destruction. I think it's important that we all remember when we talk about weapons of mass destruction that chemical weapons also fit that description. It's not just nuclear weapons. But this, was, this horrendous event marked the end of the genocidal endfall campaign that was done by the regime against Kurds and which ultimately killed between 50 and 182,000 Kurds, according to some estimates, and of course we'll never know the exact number, but it also killed a lot of Assyrian and Chaldean Christians and other minorities that were living in Kurdistan. No discussion of Kurdish issues can therefore take place today without keeping these awful events in mind. Now if you would, I would like for us to honor the martyrs of Halabja, If you would, please stand for a moment of silence in memory of this community for the martyrs of Halabja and all the victims of the Anfal genocide. May they rest in peace. Thank you, please be seated. Throughout my 30-year career as a diplomat, I always had a keen interest in emerging democracies, countries that were newly independent, or political entities that were still yearning for independence, as well as post-conflict societies. You gathered that from the list of countries that Patrick mentioned about where I've worked over my 30-year career. Whether the issues I faced were about Serbs and Albanians, Muslims and Christians, Dinkas and Nuer, Shiites and Sunnis, or Kurds and pretty much everybody, I have always found that there are plenty of people of goodwill whose hopes and aspirations have often been thwarted by governments and so-called strategic interests. While military action was often critical to preventing genocide and overthrowing repressive regimes, it was always what happened after the fighting stopped that determined whether there would be truly successful outcomes. I am a great believer in diplomacy backed by military action, but I am not a supporter of military action in the absence of diplomacy or to replace diplomacy. And that's very important to keep those connections in mind. The Kurds, however, are a unique case. As the largest ethnic group in the world without a country, The Kurds have faced genocide, ethnic cleansing, famine, war, both conventional and chemical, and betrayal, and all of that just in the last 40 years. Over the past century, their hopes have been encouraged and their dreams given voice, only to be dashed on the rocks of special interest and the strategic objectives of other countries. Indeed, betrayal has been more common than support. And this is a moral stain that will long be borne by the countries of the West and the countries of the former Ottoman Empire. Sadly, no one is innocent, and all are guilty. There is a common saying in Kurdish that is also known to many outside the Kurdish community. The Kurds have no friends but the mountains. Now, in my talk tonight, that is followed by a question mark. It is not a statement, it's a question. Do they have no friends but the mountains? With greater Kurdistan distributed over the nexus of Iraq, Iran, Turkey, and Syria, it is a heavily mountainous region whose constituent communities speak several variations of what we foreigners call Kurdish and who suffer various levels of discrimination. In the case of Iraqi Kurdistan, it enjoys a very high level of autonomy, but it is still within the borders of Iraq. Over the centuries, Kurds have suffered grievous persecution in all four countries. Whether hunted down by the Turkish government for speaking Kurdish, repressed by the Iranian government for educating their children in Kurdish, or celebrating Kurdish culture, invaded and attacked by Syrian extremists, or bombed and gassed by Iraqi Baathists who sought to Arabize their cities and drive them off their lands, Kurds have suffered grievous persecutions and even genocide because of their culture and ethnicity. In Turkey, tens of thousands of Kurds have been killed over the past few decades. In Iraq, tens of thousands more were killed under the Saddam regime and previous regimes. And Iran and Syria are both guilty of oppression and state-sponsored murder under various repressive regimes. Truly, the past century has been very difficult for the Kurdish people. At the same time, they have suffered betrayal by Western powers. Even though the Treaty of Severus offered the Kurds their own country in 1920 as it outlined the borders of Syria and Iraq, that was soon betrayed by the Treaty of Lausanne in 1923. In 1946, for just 11 months, the Kurds did have a small independent country in Iran called the Mahabad Republic but that was quickly eliminated and its leaders killed or forced into exile when the Soviet Union withdrew their support. In this respect the Kurds are one of the few peoples in the world who have been betrayed by both the Soviet Union and the West. Incidentally, and I draw your attention to the flag here on the podium, It is the flag of the Mahabad Republic that flies today over Erbil, Duhok, and Suleimani, for it is now the flag of Kurdistan. In more recent times, since the early 1990s, Kurds have been the most trusted and reliable partners in Iraq and Syria in fighting Ba'athists, ISIS, and contributing to the struggle to establish democratic institutions and values in the region. Indeed, it is the only part of Iraq that has truly fulfilled the goals of the U.S. and its coalition partners in Iraq since the overthrow of Saddam Hussein. Yet, even here, the Kurds have been betrayed by the U.S. and other Western countries at various times, even as they were supported strongly by others. So, why the inconsistency? As the West, led by the U.S., sought to placate Iran in reaching an agreement on nuclear weapons... And as we sought to maintain the one Iraq policy at all costs and support NATO member Turkey, Kurdish interests were often sidelined in pursuit of other foreign policy objectives. In Syria, both the Obama and Trump administrations have hesitated to support the Kurds strongly because of Turkish opposition and the belief that there are no reliable partners in Syria encountering Assad. Yet, without the Kurds and the Peshmerga, ISIS would still uh, control large swaths of Iraq and Syria, and they would not be down to their last few acres of so-called caliphate in northeast Syria, which, by the way, as of 6.15 or whatever time this is, may be down to the last few yards, because they really are almost completely militarily defeated, again, thanks heavily to the Kurds. But thankfully, the Trump administration appears to have reversed itself in withdrawing from Syria and leaving the Kurdish forces there to the mercy of Turkey and Syria. Nonetheless, there is a clear pattern that the larger strategic interest of foreign policy will often sideline Kurdish interests. We have thus seen a century of betrayal by literally everyone against the Kurds. Yet when all else has failed... And the bombs have dropped and armies invaded. The Kurds have always turned to their last friend, the mountains. It is here in the rugged but beautiful mountains of Iraqi Kurdistan, Iranian Kurdistan, Turkish Kurdistan, and Syrian Kurdistan that the Kurds have always found refuge, some degree of safety, have been able to regroup and attack, have been able to live to fight another day, or have simply waited out the bitter winds of winter until it was safe to return home. Kurds are at heart a mountain people who love their land fiercely, and the mountains that have returned that love by taking them into their embrace. Hence the saying that Kurds have no friends but the mountains. Sadly, history has proven this adage to be very, very true. So, where does this leave us today? The Kurdistan region of Iraq is today virtually an independent country. It has its own flag, its own parliament, its own president and prime minister. It controls its own borders. It has diplomatic representation abroad and deals directly with foreign governments. It even has its own army, its own national anthem, and its own laws take precedence over the federal government's laws. At first glance one would think Kurdistan is already an independent country as it has the highest autonomy by far of any similar region anywhere in the world. It is as close to being an independent country as probably any entity in history has actually come without having de jure independence. It does not have its own currency but neither do many countries around the world that use the dollar and the euro. There are, not, there are, not surprisingly, tensions with Baghdad, mainly over economic issues and Kurdish areas that lie outside the borders of Kurdistan, and, but virtually every Kurd in Iraq supports an independent Kurdistan, as evidenced by the referendum that was held on September 25, 2017, that supported independence by 93%. Had that same referendum been held in the Kurdish diaspora that vote might very well have hit 100% or higher because I'm sure some people would have come back and voted twice (laughs) to get the point across. So clearly there is no doubt in anyone's mind that the Kurdish people strongly support independence for Kurdistan. This is the dream. So what is the next step? Will Kurdistan get its independence? Is this the time for Kurdistan to declare its independence? Well, first, there are several things to consider. First of all, no country since World War II has achieved independence without the support of the United States. With U.S. support, independence is possible, but without it, it is impossible. The only exceptions to this have been when countries voluntarily break up or agree on their borders in advance. Czechoslovakia is the best example of this with its velvet divorce. Second, in the absence of the agreement of Baghdad in becoming an independent state, Kurdistan will undoubtedly suffer years of warfare and economic blockade as it fights for its independence. Without the agreement of Baghdad, Turkey and Iran will surely back Iraq by taking military and economic action to block Kurdistan's move. While the Kurds and the Peshmerga will surely fight a heroic struggle and they might ultimately win, the cost to the Kurdish people and the economy of Kurdistan could well be devastating. Third, in post-Saddam Iraq, Kurdistan actually has it pretty good. It's not a perfect arrangement by any means, but it is working and it is supported by the international community. And it gives both the Kurdish and Arab peoples the breathing room they need to build trust and confidence to address old issues such as Kirkuk and Mosul and to deal with the Arabization of Kurdish areas. Fourth, long-term issues around resource sharing and security will need to be addressed in any final settlement. These will also take time and much confidence building before they can be resolved amicably. Finally, the U.S. clearly does not support independence for Kurdistan at this time. The State Department has a very clear and strong one Iraq policy, and that policy shows no sign of changing anytime soon, for right or wrong. However, the U.S. is clearly showing that it is a friend of the Kurds through its ongoing support of Kurdistan. And Kurdish institutions, private investment by American oil companies and other businesses, and popular support for the Kurdish people. So what are the options? A war for independence or divorce? Now, I hate to use the metaphor of divorce, as a divorce is usually preceded by a happy marriage that produced children. And that has clearly not been the case with Kurdistan and Iraq. However, it might actually be the best metaphor to use in this case. A divorce can be amicable or it can be hostile, but either way it produces separation. With time, I believe Kurdistan and Iraq can have an amicable divorce, but it will not happen tomorrow or even next year. Indeed, the time frame for this may be generational, but I believe the leaders and people of Kurdistan are willing to wait all the while developing Kurdistan's institutions, growing and diversifying its economy, educating a new generation of leaders for all aspects of society, and building confidence slowly but surely with Baghdad. At the same time, Kurdistan and the Kurds need to build popular support around the world, while continuing to show that they can rule themselves not only capably and responsibly, but at a level that is seldom seen in the Middle East. So do the Kurds have any friends today? Since the early 1990s the US has worked tirelessly to protect the Kurds from the Saddam regime and to give them the space to rebuild their lives and communities after the genocidal attacks of that regime. With the high level of autonomy they were granted in post-Saddam Iraq again negotiated with the strong support and involvement of the U.S., Kurds have finally achieved what they never before in history had, the making of a lasting state in which the Kurdish people can truly achieve their national aspirations. Kurdistan is the one part of Iraq that is truly a success story. It is the other Iraq where the mission-accomplished banner can truly be proudly hung. No American troops, officials, or NGO workers have been killed in Kurdistan, and it is without question the safest place to live and work in the entire Middle East, in spite of its being part of Iraq. I can tell you now, personally, I feel far safer walking around Duhok after dark than I do in Nashville, Chicago, Washington, or even Bowling Green, where I'm from. And that's where I live when I'm not in Duhok, but I'd much rather be walking around Duhok at night than I would Bowling Green at night. And yet, there's a huge travel warning on Kurdistan that discourages people from going there. Okay, so we'll talk about that. The fact is, Kurdistan is a working democracy. It has strong institutions. It is tolerant and diverse and rule of law is strong there. It is now time for Kurds in Kurdistan to prepare for the long-term goal of independence, but an independence that is gained peacefully and with the support and agreement of Baghdad. This will not be an easy task, but it will be worth the wait and worth the effort. With the many victories of the Peshmerga over ISIS and their role in battling insurgents in Iraq... Kurds have earned a highly positive reputation for having a professional military. It is a military that is not riven with sectarian strife, uh, that has racked uh, the Iraqi military over the past several years. They have worked hard and fought well with American forces. And many American and diplomatic personnel over the years have become friends with Kurdish soldiers, officials, interpreters, and NGO workers. Kurds throughout the diaspora have made notable achievements in business, in medicine, engineering, and many other fields, thereby earning the support of many people abroad. Here in Nashville, Kurdish is even going to be offered as a foreign language in the public schools. And who would have ever imagined that 20 years ago, or maybe even five years ago? You know, it's definitely a changing world. The Kurdish people have a strong reputation in the West, and it is a reputation that is well earned and much deserved.
1: You've been listening to Michael McClellan, President, American University of Kurdistan Foundation, on the topic Kurdistan Today No Friends But the Mountains. Now, Mr. McClellan spoke at Belmont University on March 20th, 2019, to a standing room only audience about what's happening in Kurdistan today and the American University of Kurdistan and the foundation that he is president of. Uh, We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with uh, the second half of his remarks, where he talks about the relationship between American University of Kurdistan and universities here in Middle Tennessee, that uh, he is fostering uh, connections uh, and programs that will uh, benefit both uh, people living in Tennessee and uh, students in uh, Kurdistan. So we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with uh, part two of Michael McClellan's remarks, at Belmont University from March 20th. And uh, the topic is Kurdistan today, no friends but the mountains.
0: You're listening to Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council. We invite you to share your thoughts with us in email, info at tnwac.org. You can subscribe to the World Affairs Council newsletter on the website, tnwac.org. And you can like us on Facebook at Tennessee WAC, as well as follow us on Twitter at tn. WAC. Don't forget to tell your friends about Global Tennessee and the World Affairs Council. This podcast and other educational programs from the World Affairs Council are supported by you and our sponsors. Are you interested in supporting global affairs awareness in your community? Visit TNWAC.org for more information. Welcome back. This is Global Tennessee, and today
1: we are presenting remarks from Michael McClellan, President of American University of Kurdistan Foundation, as he spoke with uh, an audience at the Belmont University Global Town Hall, presented by the Tennessee World Affairs Council on March 20th, 2019. Mr. McClellan was a career uh, diplomat. He worked first with the U.S. Information Agency and then the U.S. State Department when it uh, assumed the responsibility for both agencies. He's a publicly public diplomacy officer, served in uh, many countries around the world, speaks uh, a number of uh, interesting languages, including Russian, Arabic, and German, as well as some Serbian and Albanian. And he uh, currently is the president of the American University of Kurdistan Foundation in Dohuk, in Kurdistan, in northern Iraq. And uh, in part two of our presentation today, uh, Mr. McClellan is going to talk about the American University of Kurdistan and some programs that they are developing to uh, exchange uh, students from Middle Tennessee with uh, students in uh, Kurdistan, uh, an innovative program that uh, will benefit both uh, Kurds and Tennesseans uh, to get uh, a better understanding of uh, of what's going on in the world of uh, the Middle East and Kurdistan and for Kurdish students to come to the United States and benefit from the experience of uh, living and studying here in Middle Tennessee. So here's part two of our presentation with Michael McClellan, President, American University of Kurdistan Foundation.
2: And so in the field of education... Kurdistan has made great strides over the past 20 years, and this is where it gets really good. The first university in Kurdistan opened in 1968 in Suleimani. It was opened by the government in Baghdad before Saddam came to power. But during Saddam's Iran-Iraq war, this university was moved to Erbil and renamed the University of Salahideen. And it continues to this day that, under that name. Instruction, however, was available only in Arabic and English, but not Kurdish until the 1990s. In 1991, after the first Gulf War and the genocidal Anfal campaign by the Bathist regime against the Kurds, the U.S. and its allies established the no-fly zone over Kurdistan and other parts of Iraq, thus allowing a new freedom and level of security in which the Kurds could operate. In 1992, just less than a year later, the University of Duholk opened and, in, uh, and the University of Suleimani reopened its old campus and for the first time, Kurdish students could study in Kurdish at the university level. And those three universities rapidly enrolled thousands and thousands of students. After the collapse of the Saddam Hussein regime, Kurds and the Kurdistan government quickly opened universities across Kurdistan so that only 16 years later, there are now 34 universities operating in Kurdistan, roughly half public and half private. Truly, the Kurdish people have shown how much they value higher education, and it is precisely education that is needed So that the next generation will have the skills and knowledge to lead all areas of development in Kurdistan. Incidentally, it is still is worth noting that even now instruction is still widely available in Arabic. And I, I appreciate the fact that Kurds did not ban Arabic from their universities the way the Iraqis banned Kurdish from theirs. And People, Arabs can still study in Arabic at these universities in Kurdistan. Um, English, of course, is heavily promoted across the board, and you can study in English at pretty much any university in Kurdistan now. Universities are now available in Kurdistan, modeled on the British and French systems, but most especially on the American system, and this is what I want to talk about now. In 2014, the American University of Kurdistan was established. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to the name, the American University of Kurdistan, not of Iraq. The name of this university speaks volumes. It is about, it is a university that has two defining qualities. We are American in content in our teaching approach and our dedication to outcomes while being a university for Kurdistan and the people of Kurdistan, and by that I mean all the people of Kurdistan, Kurdish and non-Kurdish alike. However, we also welcome people from around the world and we're striving to build a world-class university that will be attractive to students globally. We are not simply an English language university, but we're an American university led by Americans, largely taught by Americans, including Kurdish Americans, and with American partner institutions. Uh, We're going to give American degrees, and ultimately we will have American accreditation. That's what we're working on right now. Our university will reflect both Kurdish and American values such as tolerance, support for diversity, openness to others, strong in service to our neighbors and those who need help, and open and inviting to all. We are preparing the next generation of Kurdish leaders in business and government and preparing them for whatever future lies ahead, whatever that is. This generation will be lifelong learners with critical thinking skills, and the soft skills they will need to integrate Kurdistan into the global economy. Whatever the future holds for Kurdistan, our graduates will be ready for it. AUK was founded, uh, by the way, that's our abbreviation, AUK, for the American University of Kurdistan, was founded by Masrur Barzani, who will likely be the next Prime Minister of Kurdistan. Our flagship building is the Mustafa Barzani Building. Named for Mullah Mustafa Barzani, considered the father of Kurdish nationalism and the father of Kurdistan. It is fully accredited in both Kurdistan and Iraq, and it is now seeking U.S. accreditation, which we expect to have in about five years. AUK currently has four colleges, and those are Engineering, Arts and Sciences, Business, and International Studies. Again, remember, we're preparing our students for whatever the future holds. So those four colleges are gonna get us there. We also have a new nursing college opening this fall, inshallah. We're developing partnerships with five universities in the US, four of which are tier one research universities. We're only going after the best universities to partner with AUK. Uh, This is, as I'm sure you know, the highest designation of universities in the states. There's only 131 of these tier one research universities in America. The response from American universities has been highly positive, thus demonstrating the support and respect that Kurds enjoy in this country. And I'm especially pleased to report that we're developing a strong partnership with Middle Tennessee State University. Why are we partnering with MTSU? Because we're putting in place a program with them where students from Nashville and the surrounding area can go to AUK for the first two years of college, do their freshman and sophomore years, and then transfer all of their credits to MTSU so they can do their junior and senior years here in Tennessee. We also want... Students in Kurdistan to be able to enroll with those students from Nashville as a cohort where they will also do their first two years at AUK and then they can transfer to MTSU for their last two years or grad school. We're putting in several of these kinds of programs so that our students in Kurdistan will have the best possible options for education. But at the same time, we want the Kurdish-American students to come home. We want them to come and study at AUK. We want them to know their culture. We want them to work on their language, if it's a little weak. We want them to meet other nice young Kurdish men and women from Kurdistan. And we want them to really connect or reconnect, as the case may be, with their homeland. So this is why we're very focused on being the American University of Kurdistan. Um, So our vision uh, for the university is, first of all, to serve the youth of Kurdistan. Whether those young men and women are first-generation students whose parents or grandparents were in Halabja in 1989, whether they were born in Iran in the 1990s, whether they are stellar high school students from here in Nashville, or graduates of high schools in the UK, Netherlands, or Germany, or maybe kids born and raised in Duhok, Erbil, Zakho, or Suleimani, who have been struggling to learn English, you know, all of their lives. We want to serve this entire community across the board. We also want to serve the students, the young people of Iraq and the larger region, we don't want AUK to be only a university for Kurds. We also want to bring the Arab youth of Iraq there so that they will make friends and connect with Kurdistan and appreciate Kurdistan and so that they can be developing those kinds of linkages in the future, those networks that are gonna help the people of Baghdad and Erbil develop those understandings that they will need to move on to the next stage. Uh, finally, we want to serve the youth of Iraq and the larger region, whether those students come from Baghdad, Basra, Fallujah, Ban, Diyarbakir, or even Rojava, Mahabad, and Kermanshah, We want our students to come from the entire Kurdish diaspora, the entire region of Greater Kurdistan, as well as the larger Middle East. We want our students to have a global education and to develop global contacts because even if they never leave Kurdistan, they are still gonna be part of the larger global economy. So we're especially eager to offer scholarships and opportunities to the Yazidi community in Kurdistan, particularly women and other uh, survivors of ISIS violence. We're seeking ways to support the education of young refugees from Syria and displaced persons from Iraq, especially the Yazidis from Sinjar and other victims of ISIS violence. But all of this costs money, so as president of the American University of Kurdistan Foundation, I am working to raise money globally to support these noble efforts. And speaking of noble efforts, let me tell you one last thing about Duhok, the city where AUK is located. And I'm saying this especially for the non-Kurds in the audience because I really want you to appreciate the people who are hosting our university. The Duhok Governorate has about 1.5 million people, yet there are about 700,000 refugees and IDPs living in the Duhok Governorate. The United States, on the other hand, a country of over 300 million people, agreed to take in only 30,000 refugees. What the Kurds in Duhok have done would be as if the United States took in 150 million refugees, not 30,000. Can you name any other place in the world that has shown that level of generosity in helping its neighbors? I'm pretty sure you can't. When ISIS invaded Mosul, which incidentally is only 40 miles from Duhok. Literally overnight, thousands of displaced persons flooded into Duhok. uh, The people of Duhok literally opened their doors and took entire families into their homes. They made beds on the floors. They made places to sleep in the courtyards of their houses. And they fed them at their tables, caring for them until the UN and the... Kurdish government could set up camps to receive them, what other people people in the world have had such strong cultural values that they would be able to share to this level? Well, let me tell you something else. The reasoning behind this was pretty simple. Almost everyone in Duhok has either been a refugee or been displaced themselves, or their parents or family members have been. Every student in our university, and I mean every single student, can tell you of their own family's experience with genocide, with ethnic cleansing, with displacement, being driven out of their homes and having to live abroad or in camps. Most of our students were born in Saddam-era Iraq, even if they fortunately have no memory of that time. But their parents and older siblings and extended family members certainly do. These are the values that have earned the Kurdish people our respect and admiration. And it is why I personally am working at the American University of Kurdistan and why I believe they are a people and this is a university that everyone should be supporting. Now, please allow me to tell you just one last story and then we'll open it up to discussion. In 2014, AUK was in its infancy. Construction had just begun on the iconic Mustafa Barzani building, which at that point was little more than chalk lines on the ground and a big hole. That's all it was. Yet just a few miles away, ISIS had already taken over Mosul Dam and the world was holding its breath as to where they might go next. Keep in mind that this was happening less than 10 miles from Duhok. Now, To put that into context, that's the distance from here to the airport. Now, let me ask you, if ISIS had just taken over the airport and was moving towards here, would you be sitting here listening to me? Well, I can tell you now, I'd be driving to Bowling Green. Because in Bowling Green, we got a lot of guns and we'd be ready. I don't know about Nashville, but I would not be sitting around. Yet, at the AUK campus... They did not stop construction. They kept right on working. They did not even slow down because they were determined to get that university going because the Kurds of all people recognize as much as anybody or more than anybody the value of education. And we talk about defeating ISIS militarily. And let's not say ISIS. Let's say religious extremism or extremism. You don't just defeat that militarily. You have to defeat it with education, with culture. You have to defeat it ideologically. And that's why the university is there. That's why the Kurds built more than 30 universities since 1992. That's why everybody's pushing for education. So. The, the threat of extremism in the Middle East is only going to be encountered, is only going to be countered by people who share our values of tolerance and diversity. And I can tell you right now, walking through Duhok, when I go to my favorite coffee shop, I walk by an Armenian church. I walk by a Syrian Catholic church. I walk by uh, Sunni and Shia mosques. I walk by evangelical churches. I walk by Assyrian and Chaldean churches. And I see diversity all over the place. And they are not threatened. They feel safe there. This is the refuge for Iraq. So when you take that, when you take those cultural values and you add education on top of it, That's where we're going to win in the Middle East. So thank you very much for your kind attention, and I'm happy now to engage in a discussion. I'll try to answer any questions you have, and I look forward to the discussion. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to Global Tennessee, a presentation of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We've heard today from Michael McClellan, President of the American University of Kurdistan Foundation in Dohuk, Kurdistan, northern Iraq. He spoke on March twentieth, 2019, to an audience at Belmont University in a World Affairs Council global town hall. We hope you've enjoyed this uh, presentation, and we hope that you'll take a look at tnwac.org to learn how you can become a member and support the Tennessee World Affairs Council so we can continue to bring you programs like this one. Uh, Thank you for listening, and again, this is Global Tennessee from
0: the Tennessee World Affairs Council. This has been Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council in cooperation with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The executive producer of Global Tennessee is Patrick Ryan Senior producer, Logan Monday. Technical advisor, Bill Ryan and the voice of Global Tennessee as well as the Penn Jones Conspiracy, I'm Benjamin Olson. Visit tnwac.org podcast for more information